So tonight we're going to be talking about, I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about discipleship tested. And we were in the, the book of Luke, chapter 14. And this is really, uh, I guess you could say, a second sermon from that same chapter. You know, in that sermon is where Jesus spoke to a, a multitude. He was talking to a crowd. This is towards the end of his ministry. And he spoke to a crowd of people, and he began to tell them hard sayings, I guess you could say. You know, he said things like, you must, you must hate your mother and father and come after me. Basically, what he was saying, when you look at that, it, it's very striking. But what he was saying is, we must obey him and love him more than anyone else. In other words, we give our complete devotion, and we talked about what that looks like in daily life. And also, we talked about the groups of people that, that were present there. We talked about there were disciples there. There were people that were just curious. There were people that were confused. They didn't know what the big, the, the big talk was. And then they also had the religious people, the hard-hearted religious Pharisees that were there. And tonight, we're going to look at the parable aspect of this chapter. A parable is an earthly story that tells a heavenly truth. We're going to look at two of them tonight. And I, and I believe once we get into the, the, the depths of what these verses say, you will begin to see what Jesus requires of us. Many of you have maybe already done this. I know as I was looking over these verses, this was happening to me before I really began to understand what it is that the Lord was doing in my life. So as we go through this, I'm hoping that is very encouraging to you. Because, you know, the thing about God is even though there's things that we may not understand, God is faithful to carry it out in our own life. Now, when you look at the first four verses that we read uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's very striking. But like I said, we cleared up what the hard saying was. When he says that we must love him more than others, the highest level of love is obedience to Christ, the obedience to what his word says, the obedience to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. And as you continue to read the other verses after that, it almost seems like Jesus is pressing the gas even more so. When he tells us these stories, he would also say at the end, be careful how you hear, or hear, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, these, this is one of the most complete gospel presentations in, in the gospels. When you look in Luke 14, 28 through 30, we're going to talk about the foolish builder. It says in verse 28, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now think about that. When you look at this in the natural point of view, this would be a train wreck, right? Could you imagine if you owned a business and you just showed up on the scene and you just began to build a foundation? And yet you did not have enough money, resources, time, people to invest and begin to build that, that building. You know, when you look at, at parables, they're so powerful because Jesus is using things that are around him 
to explain something. You know, when I looked at this, I rem- I, it brought me back to the times when I would go to conferences or I would go to, uh, you know, these camps and go to all these things. We call it some, sometimes people call it the camp cycle, or I like to call it a conference cortisone shot, right? It's just like, you know what a cortisone shot? Really, I just found out the other, the other day, uh, Pastor Brandon and them, uh, really look at those things <laughs> and they, and they really like them. I'll, I'll give you a little side note. Every time I'm not feeling good, I'll go to the doctor and Brandon will tell me, Hey man, you need to get, ask him to get you a cortisone shot. You'll feel a lot better. So one day I went to the doctor and I'm just like, Hey doc, I'm not feeling well. Uh, I, you know, is there something you could do? And he never brings up cortisone shot. You know, he, he just never brings it up. So, uh, he says, well, I w- since you're getting older, you're 40, or at that time it was probably 38. <laughs> Been taking cortisone shots ever since. No, I really only had two. Yeah, two. And so he, he says, well, let's do some blood work. So we do some blood work. It comes back that there's something wrong. <laughs> I know. I'm, so I come back to the office. I'm like, Brandon, man, ever do blood work when you want a cortisone shot? And he's like, nah, man, they just give me a cortisone shot. <laughs> anyway, what had happened was I took some medicine. I took some kind of sinus medicine, and I didn't fast or anything, and it was in my blood system, and it showed up as high liver enzymes. So it freaked me out, and I'm like, I'm never going for a cortisone shot again. Needless to say, all that came back, it was unfolded that I was on medicine and blah, blah, blah. And like I said, hence why I took the cortisone shot. I know you were probably at the edge of your seat wondering, but anyway, let's continue on. Uh, Now, listen, while we experience these emotions, right, when we go and we get in the presence of God and, you know, your spirit just begins to jump and, and leap with joy, it would be later that I would come back and I would go back to my own ways. I had never fully sat down and begin to count the costs. When you look at what it means to count the costs, it means what is it? that I am doing when I'm giving my life to Jesus? What is it? Is it just a prayer? Am I expecting my relationship with God to just morph into strength and obedience? And the answer is no. But however, when you come to Jesus, you will notice a hunger begin to rise up on the inside of you. When you come to the end of yourself, and you begin to focus on what Jesus has done, when you begin to focus on who you are apart from Christ, hunger springs up. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, I I moved back home because I was living in Lafayette, and I was doing some things I shouldn't be doing, going places I shouldn't be going, and and I counted the cost. I realized that I cannot continue on this path and continue to follow the Lord. I was tired of going back and forth. I was tired of being lukewarm or cold because the hot wasn't cutting it. There was no life change. Yes, I, my mind was was trying to be at peace with God, but really my life was not backing it up. It was not showing myself. It was not. Uh, it was not producing the fruit of the Spirit in my own life. And as I began to do that, I remember I'd, I'd, I'd go home, I would sleep on my mom and dad's couch. It would open up into a, a, a bed. I don't know what happened to the bedroom. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> but I would sit there and I would just watch 
religious programming like TBN. It didn't matter. And there was just person after person with different beliefs coming on. And I was just so hungry, so thirsty. I would read scripture that I've always read before. But all of a sudden, it began to spring forth. And I'd get so excited. It would be hard to sleep at night because I would just be wanting to wake up and read my Bible. And, and the hunger for God's word just began to grow on the inside of me. And it's been there ever since. But as if any, as in any commitment you make, whether it's marriage, whether it's a career, it always takes work. When you're married, it's a commitment. That commitment takes work. It's, it's faithfulness. It's coming together with two lives, with two opinions, with two goals and becoming one. It's a growing process as far as your career goes. It's a time when you get, you get behind the desk and you, you begin to say, okay, I need to put in the work to understand what I'm doing, right? And this is the same thing when you think about counting the cost. It means I'm getting uh, into Christ. I'm, 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 I'm dying to self and living to serve the King of Kings. So what does it mean? What is it going to look like in my life? And if you submit yourself to the process, God will be more than able to meet you where you are. And he will spring forth rivers of living water in your life. And I promise you, your life will change on a dime. Amen? Now, it brings us to point number one. Count the cost. And Luke 14, 28 says, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Now, Jesus was a master communicator. In fact, it was said of him that never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. In Luke 4.32, it says, they were amazed at his teaching, for his teaching was with authority. Think about it. Jesus spoke with authority. And many times he would, he would tell them things and they would be blown away. They wouldn't understand it. They would, they would, they would get confused. But Jesus would drive the point home with them. He never mixed words. He always kept it on the up and up, what he expects from his followers. They always knew what it was that they were signing up for. That's why it was so radical and different. If you think about obedience as a radical principle. You want me to obey someone I cannot see? I can't even obey people I do see, <laughs> right? But it's the Holy Spirit that begins to work on the inside of you. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. When you don't understand things in the Bible, the Holy Spirit will begin to open up your eyes and give you revelation and you get the free songs like they say, right? And you begin to see something that you never saw before. And it's like it leaps off the page and it invades your soul. And it begins to pluck up all the dry ground and all the evil that still tries to raise itself up against God. And you begin to have that peace that surpasses all understanding. When I begin to understand the word of God, peace automatically invades my brain. It's amazing. God's word is living and power and active. Amen. This is what, when he came in contact with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was like, man, I'm good. I'm holy. And then Jesus said, go and sell everything you own. And when he walked away sad and the disciples were like, who can be saved? See, Jesus rather's obedience than just the excitement of his presence. 
when you have obedience and excitement, you know what that does? It produces this joy to say, you know what? I don't have any skeletons in my closet that have not been dealt with. I am at peace with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You ever been there? You should be there now. If not, we'll have a time of confession after. I'm joking. Now, Jesus was a stonesman by trade. It says he was a carpenter, but having after we went to Israel, they kind of explained to us that he did more with probably stones because everything there was built with stones. But if you understand that, you start to see why Jesus would always refer to foundations and cornerstones and all of these things. Now, think about this. If you have a builder that has not taken into consideration what it means to build a building, and everybody is watching this guy, he has not costed the job, he has no idea if he has the amount of money to finish it, he doesn't know who fits into where, he doesn't understand the skill of the person that he's employing, many different areas, he might not have all of the the uh, materials for the job, but when you when you stop and you think about it, if they just built part of it and built the, maybe the bottom floor with no ceiling, people would walk by and say, this dude is foolish. This company is horrible, right? All the people that would look at this would mock and ridicule him. Look at what it says. Otherwise, in, in Luke 14, 29 and 30, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What it does is it would hinder his brand. It would hinder his, 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 his name. It would hinder everything that he does. He, he would probably lose his livelihood. He would lose his reputation. Now think about that and when you bring it into the context of Christianity. People that start out moving forward and, and, and they, they begin to, get preachy with people, all right? Or they, they just come at people with sin and different things. And you're like, oh, man, be, chill out with all that. And then next thing you know, they fall away. They go away. And people just begin to mock and ridicule and say, you see, right? You've ever been there? You've ever seen anything like that? Hopefully, you've not been part of that. But the point is, when people start off without counting the cost, they will go on an emotional high, begin to go, you know, go somewhere with the Lord, or as in their mind, they think they're with the Lord. And then when they begin to fall away, they think the gospel doesn't work, right? They think, they think this Christianity stuff is not real. They think the church is, 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 is not real. The church is not powerful. All of these things because they never counted the cost. They jumped into an emotional decision. And that's what a, really, if you think about it, an abandoned building project looks like, an emotional decision, right? Many people will come and they will be in a bad spot and maybe they're just looking for some positivity, right? But and, and listen, make no mistake, it's good to be in church, even in that state. It's good to continually be around it. I remember when I was growing up and doing the things that I shouldn't do, I would always still go because my mom and dad would want me to go, and I'd sit in church, sometimes still high, but the gospel was still pounding on my hard heart. The gospel was like a jackhammer, just ra- just pounding on the cement of my heart. So even though I was not in, or maybe at that time a foolish builder having come back from a camp cycle or something like that, I'm like, I'm in, I'm done. I'm leaving these things behind. I'm moving forward. And many could look at me and say, you looked like a fool. And they would be right. But at the same time, the gospel was still doing what it was supposed to do. 
people will begin to be zealous and they, and they need a change, but they don't know how. Then next thing you know, there's those who just never even counted the cost, but started following. You know, think about this. Some people may not even know that there's a cost, right? Have you ever thought about the cost? The cost might be friendships. The cost might be things that we used to love to do that now the Lord convicts us on and we no longer want to do those things. I had to come to grips with the fact that God doesn't always do that. He doesn't say, now get away from your friends and do that, but that's what I needed in my life. I had to walk away from those very things because I was not strong enough. And I did that by faith. But you know what I had to do? Sit down and count the cost of what the life of a Christian looks like in my circumstance, in my situation. And listen, that's the greatest thing I've ever done. And I don't know where you are tonight. You might be kicking the tires of Christianity. You might be in a bad spot. You might be in a place where you're not all in. Let me promise you something. If you go all in with God, I promise you, things may not change overnight. It may not look different, but there will be a peace and a power on your life that will guide you through every storm, no matter how high the wave or how hot the fire. That I can 100% guarantee you. If you don't quit, God won't quit. Amen. But here was another point. Once I, I, you know, I always heard God loves me, you know, he's, he, he loves me and, and he died for me and all those things. But I also had a self-love, like I loved me too. So it's like God loves me, I love me, man, this is going to be perfect. Then he has a wonderful plan, I got a plan, maybe his is better, we'll see, right? We'll see which one's better and then I'll just pick which one benefits me. But it wasn't until I got the revelation of who I was in the context of God's love for me, right? You know, it's like when he's talking to a crowd, sometimes you hide out in the crowd. You're like, yeah, all of us. But when God zeroes in on you and says, listen, I do love you, but look at the unrighteousness that is in your life. Are you ready to lay that down? We're like, well, so-and-so got unrighteousness and they're happy and they're joyful. But you cannot deceive the inner peace. You cannot deceive the spirit of God on the inside of you because he wants to give you more. He wants to push you forward in life. Look, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in a room like this, all. So we say, well, all. But when you personalize it and say, but I've sinned. I know the things I've done. I know the thoughts I've had. I know the actions that I wanted to carry out. I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. You know what happens? You begin to see God as he is and you begin to see yourself as you are. And that is what produced this uncontrollable weeping at the front of the altar on Main Street in New Iberia in that church. And I'm telling you, When you allow the Lord to do a work on the inside of you, you will not get up the same. I don't know if you've had an experience with God like that, but I'm telling you, you will walk away changed. Look at what it says in John 3, 17 through 19. This is after John 3, 16. Look how there's the world. Then Jesus brings it down to a personal level. Then he brings it back to the world. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. 
he who believes in him is not judged and he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. See, group of people, personal. Now it goes back. This is the judgment that the light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light and their deeds were evil. I had to come to grips with the fact that I just loved darkness, right? Am I the only one? Before Christ, you just loved the dark. You couldn't wait for the light to shine off, come off on the earth so you can go around and deceive and do all these things. But once the light of God comes on the inside of you, you begin to not want to go there. Right? It may begin to peel back. You, you no longer see the things like you did. That's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you and working. If you have that evidence, you can know that you are born again. And praise God, when the trump sounds, you will soar through the heavens and stand on streets of gold. Amen? Now, when you, as we keep going, the second thing is surrender. So it's counting the cost, saying I'm in, this is what it's going to look like in every area of my life. And no, you don't have to have it down perfect, but we surrender. We are walking in the things that God is showing us about our own personal lives. And then he goes into Luke 14, 31 through 30, 33. And what this is is surrendering. It's transferring kingdoms, dethroning king self. <laughs> now, this is what it says. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider, consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else why he, while the other is still afar away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Now, what is he talking about here? Because it makes it sound like, you got to give everything up. You got to give all your possessions and then you're saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is coming after counting the cost. So he's already brought up love for him over everybody, which is obedience, right? We obey him. Now we're counting the cost. We're seeing what our relationship with, with the Lord will look like. And now we're surrendering and transferring kingdoms. Now, this is what this means. And once again, this was the Lord. This is what the Lord was showing me in my own life. Because listen, this whole thing is about testing ourselves, right? This ain't to test our neighbor with. If you look in the title of the chapter, it's discipleship tested. In other words, examine yourself, right? To see if you're in the faith. First John says, test yourself. We should not be afraid to line our life up with the scriptures, right? I love doing this. I want to see where I'm at with the Lord. I want to see when I'm off kilter. I want to see when I'm a burden to the kingdom of God on this earth or when I'm helping it move forward. I want to see if there's issues in my life that is stopping the progression of the gospel going forward. And I want to encourage you, you do the same, right? You do the same in your own life. You see, we always want to do something for the kingdom of God, but it's easier to just go out and do something out there, right, than to let the Lord do something here. But this is where the treasure and the, and the possession of the spirit and the power is. It's on the inside of us. It's submitting to the process and allowing the king of glory to use our hands and our feet as a clean vessel as we walk and damage and completely cut off the kingdom of darkness in people's lives. 
Don't you want to be part of that? Now listen, as we unveil the story, look how powerful what Jesus was saying. So in other words, he's looking at a crowd. Individually, there are all people that have their own kingdoms. I have my kingdom. You have your kingdom. You have your philosophy. You have your, your, the way you want to handle things. You, you allow who you want into your kingdom, right? You're running your own kingdom or so we think. So there's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world was hijacked by Satan, right? Because all dominion was given to Adam. Adam fell and plummeted all of us into the kingdom of darkness, which is how, where our kingdom functions. And so Jesus is saying here, when we look in, in, and when you look in Psalm 72, 11, I'll just tell it to you. It says, all kingdoms will bow before him. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of furthering the kingdom of God. And I hope you do. Listen, you and I are the church. We are the most powerful institution on the face of the earth. We are part of the greatest kingdom that has ever existed and will rule and reign in the future with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen, don't keep your hope here. Our blessed hope is coming back. Amen. I know things are getting shaky and they're getting dark, but we as the church will get brighter and brighter if we continually submit to the process of what the Lord wants to do in our life. But we have to make sure we transferred kingdoms. God has no rival. Amen. We sing that all the time. God is all powerful. He's all knowing. The Bible says that all authority has been given to Jesus and Jesus gives it to his children. Jesus gives it to those that are pushing the kingdom forward. Daniel 7, 14, it says, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples and nations and men of every language may serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will never pass away. And his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Now think about this. You and I have loved ones that have passed on. If we're in our little kingdom, we don't go to where they are in their kingdom with the Lord. So when you're in the kingdom of God, there's never a separation of, of our future, of our hope. We can always, no matter how it is, when, when someone dies, when they lose a husband or lose a wife or they lose a child, I know what these things are like. My mind is fixated on the fact, and I say fact, that we will be with them. And it could be any moment. So instantly, grief begins to melt away as I focus on the truth of the kingdom of God. We live in a kingdom right now. We live in the kingdom of this world. But if the kingdom of God is functioning on the inside of us, we can, we can let that shine abroad in the kingdom that is here on this earth. Amen? Galatians 5.17, for the flesh sets his desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. You got to understand what Jesus is saying here. There are two kingdoms against each other here. There's, there's the king that has 20,000 troops and there's the, the king who has 10,000 troops. Who you think is going to win that battle? The 20,000 troops. Now think about this. 
what Jesus is telling them is that you have a kingdom and I have a kingdom. And when this thing in the last shot is fired and the dust settles, my kingdom will move forward. So where are you in your kingdom? Because look at what it says. See, that's the thing. People such as myself, back, back in the day for sure, I didn't think I was an enemy of God, right? I, man, I, I, hey, God, how you doing? Doing good? Me too. Praise God. I'm going this way. And I really begin to say that I, I don't have anything against God, right? And you may say, I never had anything against God. I didn't dislike God. But when you look at what God considers, the Bible says in Romans 8, 7, 8, the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Think about this. For it's not subject to the law of God. It cannot even do so. Think about that. And we who are in the flesh can't please God. So that's a fact. So as, as I would read this back in the day, I'd say, well, I'm in the kingdom of God. I go to church. I do all these things. But then I, I begin to realize, like, but I'm not with God because I'm still doing what I want to do. In other words, people are watching my life, and it's not bringing glory to God. I was realizing that there was a kingdom I saw. My kingdom was still here, and it's like, we're going to see which one wins. <laughs> So when you look at it, Matthew 12, 30, it says, he, and if you look at it in New Living, it says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is working against me. That began to strike me in my heart. I was like, God, no, I, I want to help. I want to serve. But I began to see what the word of God said about my life. Are you, are you tracking with me? Do you do this? Do you look at the word and say, where am I at? What is this to me? How, how, do I, how does my life look in light of what this word says? Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ and he forgave all of our sins. Now, is Jesus saying he's going to kill us? No, we've done that ourselves, right? He's offering us mercy. So the king that has 20,000 and the king that has 10,000 is the people in the crowd and as well as us. We're looking at this thing and we say, man, there's a kingdom. And this is what happens. The king with the 10,000 sends out what is the peace agreement. And then the Lord lays it out in, Col in Colossians 1, 19 and 22. I'm going to read these verses because I want you to see what the word of God is saying in this context. Amen. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by Christ's blood on the cross. That, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. Me were his enemies. Separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions. You see, we, we're not doing anything. We're not coming against God, but the, our lifestyle is producing this venom. And God in his righteousness came and said, I don't want that for your life. I'm going to pay the penalty and the price because I love you, because I want you, because you are my child. Amen. And when we give our life to Jesus and that light bulb goes off, then we begin to see, wow, the Lord is really working in my life. And then it says, and yet now he has yet now reconciled you to himself through the death of his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his presence. And you are holy and blameless. Look at that. 
and you stand before him without one single fault. Think about that. Romans 5, 6, and 11. While we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Then it goes into talking about one may die for his friend, but what about someone who dies for someone who's against him? And he demonstrates his own love toward us while we were yet sinners. And then now we have peace with God. And now we transfer kingdoms. Amen? I'm telling you this because I don't know if you know what's going on as far as the kingdom realm is concerned. Now, what's the life application here? So then none of you can be my disciple who does not sell his own possessions. That doesn't seem like a life application, but really it is. When you think about what this verse is saying, when you transfer kingdoms, you're transferring to the king of kings and lord of lords. That means any possession that we get, anything that we want in life, we always are bringing it before the Lord. Lord, do you want this for my life? Lord, is this helping the kingdom in my life? That's what the Lord, this is the ground floor of Christianity. This is what we're coming into. Jesus wasn't saying you get salvation by selling everything. Here's what he's saying. Many of you have talents. Many of you have possessions. Many of you have things that could affect the kingdom of God. And he is saying, transfer kingdoms and be part of my kingdom. And this is what you learn in next steps. You begin to see how God has wired you. You begin to see how God can use you for his glory. Listen, this is the building blocks for the treasures that you will have in heaven. Right? Because we always talk about doing things for the kingdom of God. This is the in-ramp, the inroad to getting into a place where the things of God begin to open up. You begin to understand. You begin to see how God can use you and how you can do great and mighty things for his kingdom. You don't have to sit over here and figure it out on your own. You can do that as well. But you could also get connected and plugged in and link arm to arm with a soldier that is serving and walking on the side of you. And you can, can link up with them and begin to see what God has done on the inside of you and begin to see how God can use you for his glory. This is a good thing. This is, this is the chief thing in your life. What am I doing for the Lord? Listen, when we stand before God, it ain't going to be about what degree we had. Right? And it going to be what college we went to. It's going to be, what did you do with what I gave you? But I did this and that. I wanted you to do something. What did you do with what I gave you? Right? That's what we need to be about. And that's what these classes are for. To help you see what God could possibly want to do in your life. You learn to be a good steward. You learn what it means to give to the kingdom. You learn what it means to plant churches. You learn what it means to serve in the fullest capacity that God has called you to serve in. And this is the highest honor to serve in the kingdom of God. There is nothing better. You can serve at the White House. You'd have to step down to serve in the kingdom of God. You can serve in the United Nations. You'd have to step down to serve in the kingdom of God. That's how high and lifted up because he is king of kings and Lord of lords. So I challenge you tonight. I don't know where you are in the kingdom, but move forward as God is pulling you towards himself to glorify himself in your life. 
And when you allow the Lord to do that, he will begin to reach out to the people that you love and begin to reach out to friends and family and begin to pull them into the kingdom. As you stand before God one day and you will see your brother or your sister or your friend and God will say, because you were faithful, they are here. Think about, we're not just playing church. You're here, you're learning, you're applying, you're watching God change you. This is the greatest thing you can be part of, to grow in the kingdom of God. Amen? Now Jesus goes from this to being salty. (laughs) Right? When you look at it. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, With what it is seasoned, it's useless either for the soil or the manure pile. (laughs) You know, it's toilet humor. Manure pile. Salt preserves meat. It heals, right? You're getting salt water, it heals cuts. Now, quickly, quickly, I want to show you something that I was reading about the early church. And listen, this really spoke to me. The early church is why we're here and continuing moving forward. Because Jesus sent out 12 disciples. They begin to preach and teach. They begin to touch lives. People begin to grow. They would go out. They were underdogs. You know, because people get offended, like, we're no longer a Christian, Christian nation. Listen, it doesn't matter what people say. You, you, actually, we, we thrive better, history says, as the underdog. You know, so if we don't get hung up, and all these political situations that are going on, and we just hunker down and say, listen, they can say what they want. We are the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will rise one day and tower over every naysayer and every kingdom. The question is, are you with us or not? So it doesn't matter what they say. Of course they're going to belittle the church, right? But we need a revival in our own life, right? Listen, how many times do you read the word? I don't mean to sound like some old Bible thumping guy. I'm not. I'm just telling you. How many times do you read God's word and let him, his word read you? How many times do you get in his presence and just begin to worship him and begin to flood the heavens with prayer? Look at what, you know how, how the, the, we're supposed to be functioning. In Galatians 5, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? How does the world view us? Hypocritical, bigots, right? Harsh, money hungry, insensitive, judgmental. If we're living the fruit of the spirit, there'd be no persecution, right? Everybody wants that. But look at what the early church did. The early church was salt as an underdog in the kingdom of darkness. And Watch how they begin to change. Listen, you could take a box of salt and put it next to a plate of rice and gravy. It will do you no good. You got to open the box and pour the salt onto the food. So we can go around with a sign and say, you need to be salt. But we have to be salt. Watch what the church did. They were not wealthy. They didn't have a, they couldn't bring somebody to court and say, this person does this and that. They just began to do things in their own life. They had possessions, but the possessions did not own them, right? Now, if you think about this, the emperor Domitian murdered believers, even in his own family. 
Yet Christianity still spread. You remember when the, the Emperor Nero basically had Rome burned and blamed it on the Christians. And one of the apostles lost their lives. Martyrdom became the norm in early Christian, in Christian life. Persecution. And I'm not talking about a Facebook post. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about uh, somebody on the news. I'm talking about Christianity in the inception. And look at what would happen. The bishop would lose his life. Then the priest would step up. Then the deacon would step up. Then the church member would step up. And you know what began to happen? The early church had to come and say, hey, guys, this is cool, but you can't just sacrifice your life because we're still building the church. So they begin to tell them not to do that. Now, they didn't go around jabbing political parties. They just began to hunker down and live out the gospel. Right? See, they were willing to die for what they believe, but more importantly, they were willing to live for what they believe. There were issues of that day. There were issues just like there's issues today. This was what our early bishop said. Listen to this. This brought tears to my eyes when I read it. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, tending to every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, they departed this life happy. They were infected by others with disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pain. Many in nursing homes, curing others, transferred death unto themselves and they died in their steed. You know what they did? They just got involved and was salt. We have people around us all the time that are hurting. Just get involved. I'm not saying you got to lose your life, catch their sickness. Believe me, I wouldn't want somebody's sickness. <laughs> but the reality is they just got involved. They just began to get rooted and grounded in what the Lord would want them to do. You know why? They were in the kingdom of God. They were functioning in that kingdom, and that's how the kingdom functions. And through disease, the church began to grow. Then. The disease, then it says this, the heathen behaved the exact opposite way. On the first set of on disease, they pushed the sufferers away from them, throwing them into the roads before they were dead. They, they wouldn't even bury their corpse. And then contagious disease began to spread. So you know what was happening? They were seeing a difference. And this difference, with the Lord blessing it, began to change the culture of Rome. Now, if you think about this, they elevated the role of women in their society. In other words, they didn't look down on them. The church came and lifted them up. And that began to change the way the Roman women saw things. And then they looked at that and they began to walk in the fullness of Jesus because Jesus honors women. He honors men. He honors children. He honors people. And then this is what would happen. When people would have children and they didn't want them, they would take them outside the city and throw them in the ditch or throw them at the road and go back in. And what would happen is as nighttime would come, the church would go out and grab these kids and bring them in and raise them as one of their own. You know what they did? They added salt to that corruption. But you know what they did first? They didn't do that in their own life. When they had children, they took care of them. There was... There was marriage was, was under attack. They had people with different wives and whatnot. You know what the church did? They were faithful to their wife. They, they flourished in their marriage. 
they became salt in a corruption of marriage of that day. You know what they did for the poor and the needy? They gave what the Lord was supplying them with. They didn't announce it. They didn't claim symbols. They didn't take selfies while they were doing it. They just met the need and begin to move the kingdom of God forward. And eventually it made an impact. People began to see that and they wanted to be part of the kingdom. You know what that means for us? All we have to do is be the church, is be the kingdom of God on this earth. You know what it is? It's like the kingdom of God is this giant cement kingdom and it just comes crashing down on this sandcastle kingdom that is on this earth. That's what it does. It's more powerful. We function in the kingdom of God. We affect the kingdoms. And listen, there's no rival. They want what you have. The question is, what are they seeing? Right? Now, getting back to the salt deal, this is what would happen. This is what would happen. They would use the bathroom in the house. They had no plumbing in these clay pots. And they would have to go and, you know, dispose of it. And then they would take salt and they would throw it on that and it would kill the smell. But there was also something called fake salt. It looked like salt, but it would not be fit even for the manure pile. So when you take that belief, you go back into it. You know what that tells us? All we have to do is add salt to all of the stuff in our own lives and the lives of others in our, in our circle, right? We also have indoor plumbing so we can just take the salt and deal with our own houses, right? You see how easy it is? And listen, you're here because of what they did. We are part of the kingdom of God. And I just want to encourage you tonight. You have not given up anything. That's what I used to think. Well, man, I'm going to not have fun. I'm going to have to listen to Carmen. Shane is here. No? Okay, good. I was like, I'm going to have to listen to that. This, I don't like this. But, right? And then music got good. They started adding salt. <laughs> to music and now look you see you see what i'm saying <laughs> if you like Carmen, listen okay mark 10 28 and i'm closing here this is this is it i'm getting out of this situation mark 10 28 31 peter began to say to him behold we left everything and followed you jesus said truly i say to you there's no one who left house or brothers or sisters our mother, our father, our children, our farms, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farm, along with persecution, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Amen. Can we stand? You know, if you think about it, when you come into the kingdom of God, you gain brothers and sisters, right? Some of y'all might not want to play with y'all brother and sister, but that's where we also have counseling, where you can come together. And But listen, you have the family of God, and sometimes you will, you will find people in your life that come to church with you that will be closer than your own family. And that is... Part of life groups as well. You get together in life groups. You begin to get together and learn and talk about things and talk about the things that are difficult in life. And you begin to come and link arm in arm with people and you will be uplifted. You will uplift others. That is when the church will thrive, when we're linking arms to arms. And you might not be with them in some sickness that you can catch, 
but you can be with them in an emotional sickness, in turmoil, when they need someone to talk to. You can pick up the phone. You can call them. You might have gone through something. Listen, you might go through something and you're like, why did I go through this? And next thing you know, somebody goes through it down the road and there it is. Oh, wow. I can use this experience to glorify God and to help them out. People say all the time, why don't God just kill the devil and it be done with? Listen, you get glory. God gets glory in the fight with the devil. If there's no fight, there's no glory. We just go whole hum through life. But keep in mind, you are serving in the greatest kingdom. So listen, tonight, I want to ask you, are you a genuinely true follower of Christ? Have you... Do you love him? Are you moving towards the obedient love that Jesus wants from us? Have you, have you given up your kingdom and, and, and said, Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to function as your kingdom functions. And have you surrendered your life? I'm not talking about your belief. I'm talking about your life. Have you said, God, this is what I want, but listen. So sometimes you just got to look at this and say, this is what I want, though, God. I want this. And God is saying, I know that. But this will take you here. But if you do what I want you to do, if you walk in what I want you to walk in, it may not make sense right now, but my ways are perfect, right? My ways are, I never make a mistake, Kale. It's impossible for me to make a mistake. I would be flawed and you would go to hell, right? That's what it is. But we believe, we, we, so we keep our faith entrusted in God. But I want to tell you right now, out the gate, if you do not know him tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to slip up your hand. And I just want to pray for you to receive Jesus, to receive Jesus. I know it's Wednesday night. Many people here are already saved. But if you could say, you know, on the inside of me, I see your hand. I have not come to know him in the way that he speaks in his word. And I want, I'm all in. Come on, some of you might be sidetracked, frustrated with a situation in your life. Lay that down and move forward into the kingdom of God. Amen. If you could say, I got my plans, my kingdom. I need to lay my kingdom down and I'm going full in with God's kingdom. Let me see your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Praise God. I see your hand. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, I want you to pray with me. Repeat this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your Son. Jesus Christ. I submit my life, my ways to your kingdom. I ask you to forgive me of all sin. I want to be born again, a child of God. I acknowledge that you are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a card in your pew with a green stripe. Just fill it out and bring it to the back, and we'll be praying for you. We want to encourage you. And for the rest of you, listen, walk in the kingdom of God and absolutely devastate the kingdom of darkness around you. Amen? Praise God. Amen. You're dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. God bless you.